I drank too much chocolate milk, I gotta be honest with you. I had about a whole quart instead of just taking a glass. I drank the whole quart, so I'm a little full this morning. But if you didn't have a chance to go by previously, we still do have donuts and chocolate milk, so on your way out, grab like a dozen donuts, because I'm pretty sure we have a lot left over. But as we begin 2017 this morning, we're going to be looking at a text in the Gospel of Luke. And it's a really, really interesting text because it gives us some insight into Jesus in a way that doesn't really make him look that good. In fact, his parents are kind of a little bit disappointed in him. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41 this morning. Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah and many of the other prophets, they prophesied about Jesus coming. And the Jews knew about these prophecies, but the reality is that even though they had these prophecies and they knew that Jesus was coming, the Jews did not really understand what was happening. They misinterpreted the prophecies because the Jews, as you know, were expecting a militant warrior who would come and overthrow the Romans. That's what the Jews of Jesus' day wanted. They wanted to defeat the Romans, and they thought that Jesus was going to do this. So instead, when Jesus comes on the scene, and he is a humble, meek, sacrificial person who ended up laying down his life for other people, it was not the type of king that the Jews were expecting. They misinterpreted the prophecies that many of the Old Testament prophets brought. And so now we fast forward to today, and many of you know over the Christmas holidays, the new Star Wars movie came out, right? Rogue One. It's already grossed over $400 million domestically, and it is going to end up being the number two best-selling movie of the year behind Finding Dory, which I find to be disgraceful that Star Wars would lose to that. But nevertheless, it's, it's going to end up in second place. And without revealing too much of the, the plot, this particular film takes place in between episodes three and four. So how many people in here are like Star Wars fanatics, okay? So those of you that are fanatics, you'll enjoy this. Those that don't care, you can tune it out if you want to. But this is a very important film that came out because it shows us how the rebels get the plans to the Death Star, which you see in episode four, which for those of you in the room that remember when the original Star Wars came out in 1977, before I was even a thought in my parents' minds, it was a big deal. So this particular film takes place before the original one that came out in 1977. And a little bit of the background of the story, you know that the Jedi are the good guys and the Imperial forces are the bad guys. And the Jedi were waiting on this chosen prophet, this chosen Jedi, who would bring peace and balance to the galaxy. And they thought that it was a man by the name of Anakin Skywalker. But as you know if you've seen the movies, they misinterpreted the prophecies. It wasn't Anakin Skywalker who later becomes Darth Vader it was someone else. Just like the Jews of Jesus' day misinterpreted the prophecies that Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets said about Jesus. 
And so as we read this morning, beginning in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 41, it'll be on the screens if you'd like to follow along. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And when he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Luke, in his gospel account, is giving us, I believe, some very, very important challenges for us to take from this text as we begin 2017. So there's going to be four challenges that I'm going to give you this morning. Number one, we find very early in the text, and I challenge you this morning, as I challenge myself, to engage the teachings of Jesus. If you've never read all of the parables of Jesus, sat down and gone through and read them, you'll never really see the quality and the depth and the radical teaching which Jesus provides throughout the New Testament. The text here tells us that when Jesus is in the temple with the teachers, they are the ones amazed and astonished and at awe. So the problem for you and me is not that we don't read God's Word. It's not even that we don't know the stories of Scripture. But there's a difference between reading it and engaging it. So when we engage God's Word, we're we're taking the time to sit down with God's Word. To circle, to underline, to wrestle with what the text is teaching us. To be challenged by it. To question it. Yes, I said it's okay to question the text. Because the reality is, as you study the Scripture deeply, as you meditate on it, as you wrestle with it, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that His Word is right and true and perfect in every single way. So we engage the teachings of Scripture at a much deeper level than just a surface level. I read an article recently that the Times came out with, Time Magazine, They did a study of the attention spans of human beings and how over the years they've diminished. So they did a study in the year 2000 at the very beginning of the, I don't have it in my pocket, I'm glad I took it out, the very beginning of the cell phone revolution. You see how I was just searching for it? 
The very beginning of the cell phone revolution, when everyone was getting cell phones, I can remember this because I was in ninth grade. I got my first flip phone as a ninth grader. Everyone was getting them. Studies said that at this time, the attention span for the average human being was 12 seconds. They did this exact same study again in 2015. Just a 15-year period, and the human attention span has dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. As a point of comparison in the article, the average attention span for a goldfish is 9 seconds. <laughs> I can't make this up. So currently, you and I as human beings have less of an attention span than a goldfish whose quality of life, as you know, ends up usually in the toilet, flushed. <laughs> so it's difficult for us in 2017 now to take the time to really engage. But we see Jesus doing that in this text. We see him teaching and expounding upon, and we see those listening being amazed at what he is teaching. And the Word of God has the power and the ability to amaze us and to astonish us if we'll engage in what it says. Number two, this text challenges us to examine our allegiance. Now, one of the things we have to know about Jesus as a good Jewish boy is that he had great respect for the temple. Every Jew has great respect for the temple. And Jesus, as a good Jewish boy, understood this. You see, it is the temple where you go to atone for your sin. It is the temple where you go to meet the Spirit of God. Within the Holy of Holies lied the Ark of the Covenant, where God's Spirit resided. There were four courts. The court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Israelites, and the court of the priests. So the temple has profound significance for Jesus. In fact, Orthodox Jews today, as they still await the Messiah, because remember, they've misinterpreted the prophecies, as they still await the Messiah, they believe that when he comes, he will rebuild the temple. The best thing about Jesus Christ for you and I, and what his parents didn't understand in this passage, is that Jesus is the temple. This is why he tells us later on in the New Testament that I'm going to tear the temple down and in three days I will rise it up again. Because he is the temple. No longer is the Old Testament sacrificial system needed to atone for our sins. We don't have to go to a building. We don't have to go to a priest. What Jesus did on the cross for you and I atones for our sin. So for you and I in this room, Jesus is our temple that resides inside of us. And as his parents return back to Jerusalem and they see Jesus sitting there teaching everyone, Mary is confused. Son, how could you do this to us? This is four days now. We've wasted a whole day on the way, three coming back. Why? And Jesus responds in a way basically saying, where do you think my allegiance lies? Where do you think my allegiance lies? Jesus knew his place was with his father. 
in the temple. And his parents, who raised him, by the way, couldn't grasp the fact that he belonged with his heavenly father, even though they knew he was the son of God. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, just like Jesus' parents were confused about where his allegiance lied, we have to ask ourselves, where does our allegiance lie this morning? Are we giving God a portion of our life? Are we giving him the majority of our life? Or are we giving him everything that we have? You see, I'm, I'm afraid that when we read Jesus and he talks about abandoning parents, abandoning your career, your possessions, your money. Sometimes I think we read those texts and we're thinking, ah, Jesus is just exaggerating. He's not exaggerating. We are to give it all up for Christ. Now that's going to look different in all of our lives. But when he told Peter, James, Andrew, and John to get out of their boats and to follow him, they do it. And the text clearly tells us that they run towards him They dropped everything that they had, and they followed him. So we have to examine where our allegiance lies. Are our families more important than Christ? Is our career more important than Christ? Our possessions? Our bank accounts? All of them lay at the feet of Jesus and say, God, use me how you see fit. And after Jesus tells Mary and Joseph, hey, look, this is where I belong. I know y'all don't understand it, but just trust me on this one. I belong in my father's house. Luke tells us very clearly that, that Mary treasures these things up in her heart. She ponders them. I can only imagine the processing that went through Mary's mind as she raised Jesus. Could you imagine the questions, the anxiety, the excitement, the sorrow that Mary felt as she raised the Son of God? Could you imagine the conversations that she had with God about her son and about how she really didn't understand some of the things that he was doing? But what Mary teaches us here is to reflect on his importance. One of the things I just told you a few minutes ago is that our attention span has dropped drastically over the years. It's probably going to continue to drop. But the reality is for you and I, if we don't reflect, if we don't spend time counting the blessings, writing down the ways that God has provided for us, reflecting on what he's done, the way our society works we will forget. And what Mary teaches us here is there has to be a time where we reflect on what God is doing in our life. So I want to challenge you. 2016 just ended. Take some time this afternoon, this week, this month, and write down the ways that God worked in your life. How he convicted you of sin, the relationships he brought into your life, what he showed you as you read his word. Write these things down. And like Mary shows us here, treasure these things and ponder them up in your life.
And throughout 2017, as individuals, as families, and as a church family, let's challenge ourselves to think and process and write down the ways that God has provided for us throughout the year. And that's what we learn from Mary. You know, one of the great things about Jesus being in the temple, and I think it's really the most important lesson from this story, is for you and I, what we need to realize with Jesus Christ being our temple is that we are not bound to this building to worship God. We are in no need of a building to worship. He resides inside of us. If you think about it, there is no global headquarters of Christianity. It doesn't reside in any one place. It is a grassroots movement that started with the disciples of Jesus, word of mouth, going from person to person, community to community, sharing the love of Jesus Christ. We don't need an office building. We don't need Wi-Fi. We don't need computers. We need none of it for the message of Christ to be proclaimed. First Baptist New Orleans could burn to the ground this afternoon, knock on wood, and Jesus Christ's gospel would still reign supreme. There is no headquarters of Christianity. It resides in the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So let's be very careful talking about worship as if it only happens inside the walls of this building. Corporate worship is but a fraction of the worship we give to God throughout our week. Vitally important, yes, but only a fraction of the worship we can give to God. You see, one of the most dangerous things that happened to Judaism in the first century is that when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, it almost killed the religion because it was so caught up in the temple itself, the building, it barely survived. But you and I know that the temple of the Holy Spirit resides right here. So wherever we go, wherever we move, wherever God takes us, We can worship him because his gospel, his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And then we get to this, I think, one of the most famous verses in all of Luke. When Luke bridges the gap for us from Jesus' adolescence to his adulthood. So if you want to know what happened to Jesus between the ages of 13 and 30, 31, this is all you get. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Now, for Jesus, stature means this. For us, it now means this, because we're done growing in terms of our height as adults. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's all you get about Jesus' teenage and young adult years. This is it. Now, skeptics often look at this passage and say, How can we believe all this about Jesus? We don't know anything that happened to him between the ages of 13 and 30. Let me ask you a question. As a gospel writer, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if it is your job to pin down the message of Jesus, get it out to the most amount of people possible in the fastest amount of time, are you going to talk about what Jesus ate for breakfast when he's 15? Or are you going to talk about the death of burial, resurrection of Christ. It's not that that information wouldn't be great to know. I would absolutely love to know what Jesus' favorite cereal was, assuming they had it in the first century. But the reality is, 
as a gospel writer, and as persecution is coming upon these early Christians, you have to get the message out, and you have to get it out quickly. And so you want to talk about the things that really matter, the miracles, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So this is why in the Gospels we don't have what Jesus built in the shop with his dad as a carpenter or what he did with his buddies. We just don't have that information. But the good news is it doesn't affect the Gospel message at all. We have everything we need for salvation in Jesus Christ. And so Luke gives us this one verse. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is what we have. So what do we do with it? Well, the reality is for you and I that Jesus means everything. And I think it's interesting here that Luke puts these two scenarios before us. Favor with God and favor with man. That's not by accident. Because if we tend to fall one way or the other, we've gotten out of balance. You see, if we focus completely on getting favor with God at the expense of favor with man, we're useless. And if we focus all of our time and all of our energies on having relationships with people in the world, but we neglect our relationship with God, then the people in the world that we know will never know why we want to have a relationship with them in the first place. This is why Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if they get tilted in either direction we're not as effective as we could be we want to never stop moving towards Christ Christianity is a religion of movement we are on the move that's why we send missionaries every single year all over the world so that they can know the gospel of Jesus Christ we're never standing still we're either moving in his direction or we're moving away from him. There is no point in time where we are still. I was visiting one of our senior adults in an assisted living facility right before Christmas. He was telling me about a man that, that lives there with him. He wasn't feeling well, and so he said, well, why don't you see a doctor, and I'm sure they'll take care of you. And the man said, you know, I don't really want to see a doctor. I really don't want to get well. I really don't even want anybody to know that I'm sick because I'm just... I don't really see the point anymore. And the senior adult that I know, who's in an assisted living facility, who can't get out that often, says that he wakes up every morning, he gets a cup of coffee, he's in a wheelchair, and he rolls out the front door, and there are 17 kids that walk to the bus stop every morning. And he said what he started doing is he prays for kids that he doesn't even know by name individually. And he prays for them, for their salvation, for their protection, for their health. And he says, you know what? That's what gets me up in the morning, is praying for these kids that I don't even know. See, the beautiful thing 
about Christianity is there is no expiration date on your purpose. It never ends. Whether you are an 8-year-old or a 95-year-old, God can use you. This man gets purpose and energy and excitement from waking up every morning, going on the front steps of his assisted living facility, and praying for people that he doesn't even know. That gives him purpose. God is never done with us. If you ever go to the hospital, I visited a, a church member before Christmas who actually had open heart surgery. I was in there one day when the doctors came in to check on him, and he's doing well. The doctor said, Jason, what's going to get you out of here faster than anything else is you getting up and walking. He said, that's what's going to get you out of here the fastest. Now, if you've ever been to the hospital and been with anybody that's had knee replacement or hip replacement, what's the first thing they're going to do to you? They're going to get you out of bed, and they're going to get you walking. They're going to get you moving. Because there's something about movement within the human body that gets us back on track. It gets our blood flowing. It gets us back to the way that we're designed to be. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are designed to be on the move all the time. Through our family, through our coworkers, in our neighborhood, and around the world. Christianity is a religion that is on the move. Jesus was constantly on the move. So this morning we have to ask ourselves, as we begin 2017, it's going to be an exciting year in the life of our church. We're going to have a lot going on. We have to ask ourselves, where do I fall on this scale that Luke gives us here? Favor with God? Favor with man? How am I doing on this scale? Have I dipped too much in one direction or the other? And how do I get back on track? And the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide our steps as we seek to have favor with God and favor with those around us. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for your son. God, I thank you that he is our temple. That he resides in us. God, help us to stay on the move for you. Give us wisdom. Give us vision for how we can reach people in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, with our companies. God, guide our steps. Help us to engage with your word. Help us to make sure that our identity is not rooted in anything else but you and you crucified. Holy Spirit, convict us and challenge us. God, we can't do this life without you. All glory be to you. Amen.